Hey, join me in Acts 26 today. Acts 26, that's our passage uh, for this morning. Really appreciated Stephen's message on Acts 25 last week. And we're going to pick up right where that left off. You want to hear something crazy? This is our 50th message in this series, which means that this is the 50th week of 2021, which means there are only two weeks left in the series and only two weeks left uh, in the year. Can you believe that? Um, I don't know about you, but it feels like this year has flown by, especially in comparison with 2020, because 2020 felt like it crawled, right? Like it just felt like it took forever. Uh, honestly, it kind of just feels like right now time has no meaning, right? That just like 2020 dragged on, 2021 has flown. And I think I know why that has happened. Uh, recently, I read about an experiment uh, this speaker did with an audience. He had every, I'm not going to do this to you, but he did this to an audience. He had everybody in the audience close their eyes and sing, row, row, row your boat in their heads to themselves. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know when you can stop. And everybody keep your eyes closed. Continue to sing, row, row, row your boat to yourselves. All right. And the, the speaker let them do this. He was quiet. They were singing, row, 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 boat, row your boat in their minds, eyes closed for 70 seconds. And then afterwards, he asked each of them to write down on a piece of paper how long they thought they had to do that. And he also asked them what their thoughts were on the experience. And the range of time, remember, he did it for 70 seconds. The range of time that respondents put down that was their estimation of how long it had been was between 30 seconds and over seven minutes. <laughs> and their response of how long it felt was directly tied to how they felt about the experience. So basically, if they thought that it was dumb, or they didn't enjoy it, or they really hate the song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat, it felt like it took a really long time. Because your experience of time has an impact on your idea of how long it lasts, right? So when you're having a good time, it goes super fast, right? When you're having a negative time, it goes by slowly. And the reason that 2020 felt like it took forever is because there were a lot of negative experiences. And 2021, especially in comparison, has had a lot of positive experiences. Um, the difference in how we mark time depends on our attitude and demeanor, demeanor. Now, I'm not saying that you can affect the flow and the speed of time. But your attitude and demeanor in an experience has a major impact on how long it feels like it lasts, how much of that experience um, stands out to you. Um, today, we're looking at Paul's third trial. And this third trial, which isn't even really a trial, it's just... Um, Festus bringing Paul out in front of Agrippa because he wants to have him speak to him. This has come after Paul has waited for two years between the first and second trial. Now, I don't know how much time you've ever spent in a waiting room or waiting in line, but I don't think any of us has ever waited two years, right? Like maybe you've been in a situation where it feels like it's been two years, Right? Like it felt like you were in there for eternity. Right? I probably have said something along that line. Right? Now, for some of us, we can't wait two seconds for the person in front of us to go when the light turns green. 
Nicole's one of these people, and I'm picking on her. She's not in here. She's helping in the nursery. Um, Nicole likes to say, drive it or sell it. Um, the, light, <laughs> the light turns green. You should go. Um, Paul has been waiting for two years, and he's coming out for this third time. And this third trial isn't even really a trial because he has appealed to Caesar. So this trial doesn't really have any bearing on what's going to happen to him. And so he comes out and he's going to speak to Festus, the guy who followed Felix. He's being brought out before King Agrippa and his sister Bernice. And the Jews aren't even there to accuse Paul. So he's not even like facing his accuser. He's just kind of giving his story. But I want you to see how Paul responds to this situation in Acts 26, verses 1 to 2. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you're permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews. What's Paul's response here? He says, I'm happy to do this. I'm glad that I have the opportunity to speak in front of you. And if you take time later to read through this chapter, if you've read through this chapter over the previous week, you'll notice that Paul gives his testimony here, and it's a little bit different than the other times. And the reason for that is in verse 3, especially because you, King Agrippa, you are an expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Agrippa is familiar with the, 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 the Jewish culture, religion. He understands that world. And so Paul is excited to be able to speak to him and give his life story, his testimony, the story of how Jesus changed his life. Now, you might be tempted that the reason Paul is saying he's happy is that he's trying to butter Agrippa up, that Peter, that Paul is happy because he, he, he's just saying that because he wants Agrippa to be on his side. But that's not the case. Paul is literally thankful for this opportunity. And I think you'll see that in the rest of the verses that we read. So skip down to verse 22 with me. Paul recounts his whole testimony, the story of his life, and how Jesus has changed him. And he's summing it up here in verse 22. And he says, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer and that he would first rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now as he had thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, Paul said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in some corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost 
and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Paul's heartbeat was what he said here in verse 29. He wanted everyone to become a Christian like him. He wanted everyone to have the experience that he had had, to come to know Jesus. Paul has been waiting for two years. He's brought out, not for an actual trial, but just to kind of entertain Festus's guests. But he sees this as an opportunity to share the gospel. And his hope, his prayer, his passion is that some who hear him might come to know Jesus. Now, earlier I was joking about the fact that none of us have waited in line for two years or waited in a waiting room for two years, but there are times that it feels like it. But the reality is that there are some of you here that you have been waiting for two years or longer. You've been waiting on something. You've been waiting on God to answer a prayer. You've been waiting on God to come through. You've been waiting for God's plan to kick in. You've been waiting for that answer that you've been searching for. And you've come to this point where you're living your life wondering when God is going to come through. And I want you to see that if your perception of time is just that you're waiting right now, if your perception of time is that you're in a holding pattern, that you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, for the next chapter to start, know that God wants to work right now. Paul did not view this time as wasted time. Paul did not see this waiting period as just something he had to go through. He saw that this was part of God's plan as well. I don't know about you, but at this point in the year, it kind of feels like we're not making any real plans until January 1st, right? Like, I should probably be eating healthier, but why start now, right? Like, (laughs) let's just wait till January 1st, right? I mean, the New Year's just around the corner. Why, why even bother with... God isn't waiting for the New Year to do a work in you. God isn't waiting for the New Year to work through you. God wants to start right now. God is calling you to join Him right now. There's purpose in this moment. There's purpose in this season. There's purpose in these last two and a half weeks of the year. I once read that John Piper challenged his church to do a little thought experiment with him. He said, I want you to imagine that all of us that belong to our church were picked up and God said, I have a city that needs to know about me. And he dropped us all in that city. He says, how do you think that we would spread out to let everyone know about Jesus? Well, we'd first probably start finding places to live. And we wouldn't all live in the same neighborhood or apartment complex, but rather we would spread out. That way, there were some of us in every neighborhood. We'd be able to come in contact with as many neighbors as possible. Then we'd all need jobs, and we wouldn't all get a job at the same factory, but we'd get jobs at a multitude of different places. That way, we came in contact with a multitude of different people. And then we'd start shopping at different stores so that in the marketplace, we could meet more and more people. He said, I'm sure that if we did that, 
if we got jobs in different places and moved to different homes and put our kids in different schools and shopped at different stores because God had dropped us in this city, we would walk into those places every day aware of the fact I'm here for the purpose of reaching these people for Jesus. And then he said, what I want you to recognize is that God has already done that in our city. In the jobs that you work now, in the places that you live, and the marketplaces that we go to, and the schools that our children are in, and the doctors that we see, that all of that was on purpose. And though we might just choose the grocery store because it's the one that has the kind of cheese that we like and it's on our way home, God has purpose in all of it. And maybe you bought the house that you bought because it was the one that didn't get sold before you could get home from work. It was the one that was actually on the market or that would fit in your budget. But God had a purpose. It wasn't a surprise to him that you ended up at that address. And all of those people that you come across in your neighborhood and on your job and at your school, all of those people, they're the people in this city that God is hoping to reach. And so when Paul was summoned out of his jail cell once again, because here's Agrippa and Bernice who've come to visit Festus, he didn't view it as some sham of a trial, which it was. He didn't view it as just some entertainment for these guests. He viewed it as an opportunity for the gospel. And I know that it's so very easy for us to get caught up in the trappings of our day that we think that stopping by the store to pick up milk is just stopping by the store to pick up milk. And we think that the conversation we have for five minutes at the water cooler at the start of our workday is just shooting the breeze. But actually all of that is a part of what God wants to use to draw people to himself. And it doesn't have to have the drama of a courtroom trial. For it to be a moment where God can speak through us to the people around us. God wants to use you where you're at. It's not a waiting period. It's not wasted time. It's not just happenstance or circumstance. God has a plan. In every shop, market, factory, neighborhood, school, you're walking into places where there are people that have a grandma or a brother or a cousin who are praying that someone who knows Jesus and believes in Jesus would have an impact on their grandson, on their sister, on their cousin. And our heartbeat should be like Paul's. We should say like Paul, I would to God that everyone who comes in contact with me, I would to God who everyone who hears me would come to know Jesus like I have would experience the things that I've experienced. I've been in some churches where on the back door, as you walk out above the doorframe, is written, you are now entering the mission field. At Summit Church in North Carolina, Pastor J.D. Greer, whenever the service comes to a close, he says, Summit Church, you are not dismissed, you are sent. Because every time our worship gatherings end, we flow back out into a community full of people like Agrippa and Bernice who need to hear the gospel. And listen, circumstances may interrupt our plans, but they never interrupt God's plan. Let me say that again. Circumstances may interrupt our plans, but they never interrupt God's plan. 
It was not Paul's plan to go to Rome this way. But God knew. And God was using this moment. How often do we find ourselves saying something along the lines of, Oh, I wish, we, I wish we'd only known. I wish we'd known you needed that. We could have brought that. I wish we could have only known. We would have, we would have planned this differently. I wish we would have known that you had that other thing going. We would have moved the party to a different day. God never says that. God never says, oh, I wish I had known that you guys were going to be going through there. Oh, I wish that I would have known that those people would be in need. God knows all of that. When Haven was little, when we were driving somewhere, she would often say, why are we going this way? I was impressed with the fact that she was so good at remembering directions that when we were going to preschool or to church or to Chick-fil-A, if we deviated from the normal path, she'd say, why are we going this way? She didn't know that we were also going to stop at the post office or that we had to swing, swing, by the, swing by the schnooks to get milk. She could tell that we were headed a different way and it didn't make sense to her because she didn't know about the extra added stop. Or like the kid in the back seat saying, God, why are we headed this way? Why are we going this way? And we don't know about the stop that God has for us along the way a purpose and a role for us to fulfill, a, a person for us to share the gospel with or to give an encouraging word. There's a purpose in all of it. So live that out. Live that out. I want you to notice what Paul says at the very end. Paul says, I wish to God that all were not only almost, but all together as I am, except for the chains. Paul's standing there, he's imprisoned, he's, he's chained, he's bound, and he's saying, I wish that you were like me. Well, maybe not completely like me, not with the chains. You know what Paul's hope was? Paul's hope was that everyone would come to know Jesus, but not have to face the adversity that he faced. I think it's important for us to notice that because a lot of times, if we have it hard, we want it to be hard for other people, don't we? We'll tell our kids, like, boy, you don't know how hard it was for us back in the day. We had to walk through the snow uphill both ways to and from school, you know. Had to milk our own cows and that kind of thing. We should want the goodness of God for other people and have nothing in us that desires for them to struggle or face the adversity that we face. Because that's grace. You see, when we recognize that all we have is not because we struggled for it or earned it, but because of God's goodness, when we realize that all we have is just grace, that's all we want for other people. And this moment, this moment where Paul is sharing the gospel with Agrippa and Bernice, this is grace. Because Agrippa was King Herod Agrippa. Agrippa was the great-grandson of the Herod that we read about in the Christmas story who had all of the children under the age of two killed because even though he was an old man, he was afraid that this child would be a threat to his throne. Agrippa was the nephew of the Herod who killed John the Baptist. He was cousin to the girl who danced for her stepfather to convince him to kill John the Baptist. 
He was son to the Herod that we read about in Acts chapter 12 who attempted to kill Peter and then thought of himself as a god and God struck dead because of his evil pride. This guy comes from that family tree. He comes from a line of messed up, broken, deceitful, arrogant people. And he's sitting there with his sister from the same family. And these two, coming from that long lineage of death and destruction and opposition to the gospel, this family that we've seen pop up again and again in our study of Luke and Acts, this family, they have another generation there and they get to hear the gospel. Paul says to them, I know that you're aware of these things because they didn't happen in a corner. He's speaking to a guy whose family was there when Jesus was put on trial. He's speaking to a guy who put the forerunner to Jesus. His family put him to death. He's been there for it. They've been enemies of it. And God has orchestrated all of these details so this guy gets to hear the gospel Listen, I'm, I'm kind of a wreck this week thinking about the fact that Herod's family, as dysfunctional and broken as they are, they get another opportunity to hear the message of Jesus. Hear me, listen. Doesn't matter what your family tree looks like. Doesn't matter how dysfunctional and broken the people out in our community are. God is giving them the opportunity to hear the gospel and to be radically transformed by it. Doesn't matter what kind of past you have or come from. The message of Jesus means that you can be forgiven, that you can be made whole, that you can have a seat at God's table. I'm reminded here of the story that I love from the Old Testament. It's the story of Mephibosheth. When David comes to power, he, he takes the throne of Saul, this king who tried to kill him. And most people in that situation, they would seek out any of the family of their rival and kill them so that no one has an opportunity to lay claim to the throne. And one morning, David comes in and he says, does Saul have any descendants living? And there's one, his name is Mephibosheth. And he was just a boy when Saul's kingdom was overthrown and the nurse who was caring for him ran out of the, the palace to save his life. But in running with this small child, she fell and fell on him and broke his legs and they never mended it. And so Mephibosheth is a cripple and he's the son of the enemy. But David says, take me to Mephibosheth. Take me to the crippled, weakened son of my rival. And then he brings Mephibosheth into the palace to sit at his table and to eat with him. He welcomes him into his family. He gives him a seat at the table. And that's who we are. 
crippled and broken enemies of the King of Kings that God has welcomed into the family and given us a seat at the table. And what's happening in this moment is God is giving another Mephibosheth named King Herod Agrippa an opportunity to have a seat at the table. And honestly, this type of grace seems ridiculous. It seems outlandish. But when you match it with the seemingly ridiculous truth of the resurrection, it's not ridiculous, it's radical. It's powerful. This type of grace doesn't make any sense if it's divorced from the truth of the gospel. Now, there are many in our world that want to offer this kind of grace without any truth, without the standing of the message of the gospel. And that is ludicrous because it is only through the power of the gospel that transformation can take place. Just this past week, there was a young girl that stood to speak at her father's funeral. Her father was a police officer who was shot and killed in the line of duty. She spoke about the fact that even though her father was a policeman, that whenever someone was sentenced to jail or to death, she always felt bad about them and for them, felt sympathy for them. And People would tell her, well, when it happens to you, then you'll feel differently. And she said, it has happened to me. And I don't feel differently. And I was glad to learn that the man who shot my father lived. And I hope that one day I can be in the same room with him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, but to tell him of the Jesus who can change him. That kind of grace only makes sense with the message of Jesus. And Paul gets to that part in his testimony. He talks about the fact that his whole life, he's proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ, died for our sins and rose again. And in this moment, Festus interjects and says, Paul, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. Your much learning has made you mad. And Festus is probably trying to impress his guests and he's using this moment to ridicule Paul. There's some posturing here in his on his part, but Paul says, I'm not crazy. And you can ask Agrippa because there's, there's a good chance he's heard these things because they weren't done in some corner. They weren't made secret. It's not some myth. Jesus rose from the dead and was seen of many witnesses. If anybody would know, it'd be Herod and all of his family. And Agrippa says, Paul almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. It's incredible. All the details that God is in the middle of, all of the things that he's lined up for Agrippa to be able to hear this message. But when it comes down to it, God presents Agrippa the opportunity to respond to the gospel, but it's still Agrippa's opportunity to respond or reject. Agrippa says, you almost persuade me, Paul. 
You've almost convinced me. Friends, let me tell you that almost being convinced is the same as being totally lost. He doesn't make the choice to follow Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're not quite convinced yet. Let me encourage you to keep listening, to keep searching, to keep reading the scriptures until you're ready to make that decision. Agrippa says, almost you've persuaded me. And then he walks away. And we have no record of him further seeking out the truth. It's a tragedy. It's heartbreaking. And I want to say before I move forward that if you're here and you're not ready to make a decision, to make a commitment to Christ, to follow him, please keep seeking him because he'll continue to show himself to you. But to close, I want you to think back. I want you to think back 41 weeks ago. Can you remember it? It's February 28th. We were having worship in the gym. And we were reading Luke chapter 9. This was the ninth week of the year. And it was the passage where John the Baptist is beheaded. And in that sermon, I told you the church is like a starfish and not a spider. Do you remember that? Because I told you that when a spider is cut in half, you have two halves of a dead spider. But like Alan Hirsch pointed out, when you cut a starfish in half, you got two living starfish. And I talked about the fact that oyster fishermen, that they didn't like the starfish getting in their nets, and so they would cut them up into little pieces, and what they didn't realize is they were multiplying the starfish. I talked to you about the fact that because of the hope of the resurrection, the church is resilient. That when we face hardship and adversity, we come to life and we multiply. And what I want you to see in this passage is that 50 years after Herod killed John the Baptist, that the message of the gospel is going strong and his grandson, his nephew, is hearing the message of the gospel again. Herod has died, and his descendants are still hearing this message. The gospel is resilient, and God works in all of the details. And the only way a church actually dies is if it walks away from the truth. As long as we hold on to the hope of the gospel and the truth of the resurrection, no matter what hardships may come, no matter what kings do not side with us, the gospel moves forward. And God will even use the hardship to refine us and multiply his kingdom. Friend, let me tell you that while the world is going off in a thousand directions right now, that while we are in a time of cultural upheaval, there is only one hope, one truth, one faith that will stand the test of time. And today, you're here, and you're the result, 
and you felt the impact and the influence of people generations ago in your family tree, decisions that they made, mistakes that they made. And I want you to think about the fact that generations from now, your children will be influenced by the decisions that you make, the creeds that you hold, the truth you proclaim. And there is only one that will remain and serve them well. It's the message of Jesus. Paul was ready to go to see Caesar, to head to Rome and face death because he knew that the message he proclaimed was eternal. That's what we cling to. That's what we hope in. That's what is resilient.